Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. How's it, everybody? What you're about to watch is a special Command Zone live episode that we uh, recorded a couple of days ago. We're going to be discussing the worst mistakes that Commander players make. We also take some Q&A from uh, the audience, from the chat at the time. And then Jimmy and I got a chance to give our first impressions of Commander Legends Baldur's Gate and all the cards they revealed uh, recently. So before we get into it, though, we want to talk about our sponsors Channelfireball.com slash command. That is the affiliate link you want to use when you're ordering magic product, singles, anything at all. They have their marketplace all set up now. They have tons of vendors, a lot of inventory. If you're looking for a card, they're definitely going to have it at a great price and they're going to get it to you super fast. Channelfireball.com slash command. That is the place to go. You're a magic player, so you're going to order magic cards anyway. May, may as well just use the affiliate link when you do, or you can use code command at checkout and you'll be simultaneously supporting the content that you enjoy. And of course, once you get your hands on those cards, you want to protect them. You want them to stay in pristine condition. The best way to do that is to use Ultra Pro products. That is the company that Jimmy and I trust our own collections to, to keep them safe, to keep them looking awesome. They have great play mats, deck boxes, sleeves. They have the really cool Eclipse dice that I really like using over Spell Table because they're just crisp and clear for the camera. Also good for gameplay videos. Ultra Pro really does make the best stuff to protect all of your game pieces. And of course, the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. We've got some uh, really co cool stuff going on with our Patreon right now. We just revamped the whole thing. So the tier structure is totally different than it used to be. There's way more rewards, way more merchandise. There's bonus content, exclusive content for patrons. And one of the biggest, coolest things that we're doing is um, we're starting to play spell table games with our audience, with our uh, patrons. And what we're doing is every single month, we're going to post a calendar that has uh, certain days mapped out where Jimmy, myself, other members of the Command Zone team will be in the Discord for a certain amount of time playing spell table games uh, with the people at the proper tiers for Patreon. So if you want to get on some games with Jimmy and I and other members here of the staff, Patreon.com slash Command Zone is the place to do that. And of course, Game Night's auditions are also going on right now. If you've ever dreamed of getting knighted and being on the show with Jimmy and I, like Iori and Zach just were uh, on the recent episode, that could be you seeing your name in lights, battling it out on the Game Night's uh, stage. If you want in on that, you do have to be a Patreon to audition or a patron to a... 
You do have to be a patron to audition, but those links will be in the show notes. There are some rules and regulations and things like that. Check that out, though, if you're interested. We Definitely a patron at any level is welcome to audition. Okay, with all that said, let's get into this live episode. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. What's up, everybody? Welcome. You're listening, watching the Command Zone Podcast live. Wait. Live. Wait a minute. It's a Command Zone live episode. Does that mean we have to sing? Command Zone Live. Command Zone Live. Command Zone Live. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that was pretty good. Was it? It feels like a podcast episode, but we're not recording a podcast. We're talking to everyone live. We have you up in a chat right here above our heads. Yeah, Ricardo, I see you. Zach, Jamal. Rogue, Rouge Spectre, Josh, Josh Murphy. Murray, Murph's in here. Wow. Wait, Murph, shouldn't you be working right now? <laughs> <laughs> we We're, hope the whole office is tuning in. <laughs> yeah. Actually, is Murph the only one from the office here? Should they all be here? I, You know, I, I saw a jam block in there. Jamie, one of our writers as well. So. Oh, yeah. We know Jay because he's yeah. uh, over there <laughs> helping us out. The Lady Danger's here behind the scenes. Jake Boss. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming in. We yep. appreciate it. We're going to take a minute here to just let everybody kind of settle, get in, because we know uh, we don't want to start with the important stuff before everybody's here. Yeah. And live episodes, we never really do this sort of stuff, so we're really excited. And a huge thank you to Wizards of the Coast. Oh, yeah. They're the ones that approached us and asked if we wanted to do a live series, and we said, yeah, that seems like a great way to interact with our audience. Yeah. Wizards really, you know, we don't do live streams all mm-hmm. the time, so obviously we don't have the back end built out to do that, so Wizards uh, support really is making us able to do these, so thanks to them. Yeah. And we're at the high Hyper RPG Studios. Check it yep. out. This is so cool. This is not a green screen. This is an actual screen. I won't touch it because it's farther back there than I can t- than I can reach. <laughs> yeah, it's actually very but, far yeah. away. Um, so this show is going to be in three parts here. Uh, we are going to do... The first part is going to be the worst mistakes commander players make. We're going to talk about mistakes we see all the time that we make all the time. Yeah. And then the second part, we're going to do a Q&A with the audience, uh, with everybody out there, because we want to take advantage of the fact that we're live and you can interact with us. And then the last part of the show, we're going to talk about the Commander Legends Baldur's Gate stuff that was revealed last week. That's right. Uh, on the weekly MTG stream. A lot of cool stuff revealed. So... Please, everybody in chat, we we can see you here. So, you know, please join the discussion. We'll try and call it out. And then if you have any questions throughout, we've got Lady Danger over here who's also in chat. And she's going to be collating and grabbing all the good questions so we can answer them during the Q&A. Yeah, and we encourage you all to chat with each other as well. We see that the spike feeders are in chat. So definitely, if you all want to have your own side discussion, then that would be a great place to do it in the chat. We'll be looking over there occasionally and grabbing some questions. But we're really excited to have a live experience. I didn't think we said this, but my name is Jimmy Wong. Oh, I'm Josh Lee Kwai. How's I saw it? Uh, somebody in chat, Stephen, ask who's running the command zone zone handle inside the chat. Oh, that's La- right. It's Lady Danger. It's Lady Danger you were yep. chatting with, yeah. And we also have uh, Jamie Block in the house. And uh, uh, Jake Boss is running the show. He's like the tech director. It's cool. It's cool. There's a lot going on. It's really exciting. All right, let's move to the main topic here. Otherwise, we're going to be like four hours long, like (laughs) the the one live episode we ever did before. Yeah, it'll go forever. So we're going to be talking about the worst mistakes commander players make. You know, we all make mistakes playing Magic. Uh, It's the, the most complicated game maybe ever created. I don't think it's 
it's it's not it doesn't reflect badly on you if you make mistakes. But what oh, I, definitely not. Yeah, but what I think becomes a problem maybe is when you make the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, a chess master certainly wouldn't make the same mistake over and over again. But it's easy to fall into little pitfalls and traps because there's so much to wrap your head around. In fact, we made 400 plus episodes of a podcast demonstrating just how much there is to wrap your head around. And we still make mistakes all the exactly. time. Exactly. Thank you, everybody who points those out on Game Nights, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we hope by calling out the mistakes or maybe drawing attention to these that we're going to highlight here, it can help us all kind of avoid them maybe or think about them differently in the future. Yeah, and not make them in the future. That's the big one. Get better at gameplay. That's what the Command Zone is here for you. I see Light Humphreys in there from Wizards of the Coast. Oh, hey, Light. Thank you, Light. We will try and break a leg. All right. Um, Let's just talk about mistake number one. All right. So this one is one that is actually a bit of a pet peeve of mine, and I realize it because I am guilty of it myself. That's where pet peeves come from. I knew it. <laughs> it's not knowing your deck. 99 cards in your deck as well as your commander, unless you have partner pairings. And that's a lot of cards to give, get your head around. And sometimes when you're playing and you don't know what you're doing or you don't know, oh, what can I grab from my deck to make this work? Or what am I hoping to draw in this mm. scenario? You end up in a position that you have less information to go on. And you built the deck, so you should probably spend a little more time getting to know it a little better. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? You built the deck, you have the deck, so you have the time to go through it. Mm-hmm. I, I goldfish my decks, uh, especially like before game nights. When we build a deck for game nights, I, I guess I should spell out, it's obviously like months before the set's release. We can't yeah. like go to an LGS and play with it. We <laughs> We can play with it a little bit with people in the office, but we don't have a ton of time because we don't like find out about the cards with enough time to have weeks and weeks, right? We have yeah. a couple of days, and then we've got to be shooting the Game Nights episode. So a lot of times, the decks are not tested a ton. But what I like to do is goldfish upwards of 100 times maybe mm-hmm. uh, so that I know my deck. I know what's in it. I know the sequencing that I want to do. I know... A lot of times, Jimmy, we'll talk about on the show what the best card in a deck is when we're doing a deck tag. Yeah, what's one of my favorite subjects? Yeah, and, and I think you get to know that by just understanding when you were goldfishing and playing it. Like, in most situations, what's the card I wish I had? So that way, when you go to tutor in a real game with other players waiting, you kind of generally know what you want to go get and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, or if, you know, you, you draw so many opening hands when you goldfish 100 times. You can do this, by the way, on websites. A lot of the deck building websites just click a button. It'll draw an instant sum for you. You'll also get to know, oh, you know what? I got to get rid of this card. It just never, it never excites me in the, the same way mm. I thought it did. And that way, you're really getting to know the cards of your deck, and you have, you know, maybe it's not just the best card in your deck, but when you draw an opening hand, you go, this is a good hand, not just because it has three lands and a card draw source, but it's actually got two of my better cards in the deck. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, cool, this is working now. I understand the ins and outs of my decks. I'm not going to make as many mistakes being like, well, uh, hopefully I can get around that, so I'm just going to play like I can. And it's like, wait, uh, actually, your deck, if you knew it a little better, you might have switched your strategy up earlier. Yeah, I think another aspect of knowing your deck is not just through goldfishing, is like looking at it on a deck building website like Tapped Out or Moxfield or something. Yeah. It'll tell you like the color distribution of your deck. And you might just, it might be good to know that my deck has more green in it than it does white or red, right? Yeah, not just like one green, but like some has three green pips or whatever. Yeah. It's very so, heavy green. So maybe, you know, my deck has 67 playable spells, or that's high, 62 playable yeah. spells or whatever, but 32 of them are green. So that might influence in my decisions about like what mana I leave open when I cast spells if I'm going to cast a draw spell later. Like you can yeah. get really deep in magic, right? If I have a draw spell in hand, I got to spend some mana on that. What mana do I want to leave open? What ah, spells right. am I likely to draw? Well, if I know my deck better, then now all of a sudden I can make better decisions. Because we've all done that thing. Cast a draw spell, draw spells, look at our mana and be like, <laughs> I didn't leave a white open. Oh, yeah. That's actually one of the worst feelings. Oh, crap. I'm going to die unless I grab this one card. I think it's a Chaos Warp, but it's actually a Path to Exile. Yes. So you leave a red open and you draw your cards like, no, I actually had Path in my deck and not Chaos Warp. Oh, that's a big mistake. 
Yep. So just knowing your deck can really help you win games that, you know, in, in tight situations where yeah. if you don't know your deck, you might you might just, you know, have a loss where you could have had a win. So. Yeah, and we see a couple people asking in chat what goldfishing is. And thank you also to mm. people like Jared Bronco that are explaining what it is. But goldfishing is basically playtesting your deck. Just drawing cards off, the, shuffling it, drawing it, and seeing, all right, turn one, I'll do this. Turn two, I'll draw and do that. Okay, and then I'll make this decision here and sort of running through it like you're almost taking it through a, a race course, but there's no one else on the tracks. Yeah, you're solitary playing it basically yeah. like it's turn one i play my land what could i do now i assume the other players go but i didn't interact with that in any way draw my card play my turn two play my turn three yeah. i'll usually go to turn like four five or six mm-hmm. sometimes i'll just set a thing in my head that goes all right on turn five i have to remove something or turn four so yeah if i have a removal spell i just go i burn it at some point yeah. i tap the mana and this is how i would structure this out too all right let's move on to mistake number two here oh no i don't want to talk about this the- one <laughs> I'm surprised that you said the first one was near and dear to your heart because this one has Jimmy written all over it. <laughs> uh, mistake number two is keeping sketchy hands. Yeah, sketchy hands. And I'm not talking about the art that's got that cool sketch art from Modern Horizons 2. I'm <laughs> oh, talking about cool. hands that are in- incredibly sketchy, you know, skeevy, not good. It, it, it has a promise. It's like a guy coming to you be like, I got a deal for you. And you're uh, like, oh, maybe I should trust can you. Can I interest you in uh, one land? Ascente's dividing top with an ancient, ancient tomb? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. All the pieces of that work, I would totally take that hand. Don't keep sketchy hands. I think mulliganing, even in pro play, even in competitive play, and in limited, it's one of the most important skills you can understand because it feels really bad. That's where it comes from, right? Yeah. You don't want to shuffle your hand away. And it's a commander deck, so it's even harder to shuffle. But you don't want to shuffle it away because maybe you're going to get that third land drop. You're going to have two whole turns. You, you got it. You're fine. And that seven drop sitting in your hands, your favorite card in the whole deck. Yeah, I think understand it, it is related to mistake number one, right? Knowing your deck helps you know how to mulligan and what hands are good. Right. We're also in a multiplayer format, so if you mulligan the first time, you're going to get seven cards. Yeah, yeah Which yeah. means you should be pretty liberal, I think, about how aggressively you mulligan that first hand away. Yeah. You don't. You have to think to yourself: Is this hand in the top fiftieth percentile of hands that my deck can draw? Right. Right. You because flip the coin. yeah, if it's in the lower, you definitely just don't even think about it. You get the mulligan because the, the first mulligan's free. Now, the second one, you're going to lose a card. You're going to go down to six. But at least you're still drawing seven, and you're deciding which one to put on the bottom. And knowing your deck, if you have a lot of ways to shuffle it, that card's not lost forever either. I think we've honed this skill a little bit because of game nights. And if you think about the way that you have to play for game play content, you really want your deck to right. show what yeah, it's yeah, possible yeah, yeah. of. And so we've learned over time by making mistakes like you talked about uh, that you just don't mess around too much with hands that are iffy. Mm-hmm. Try and find a hand that you know maybe it's not the most powerful hand you can get and a lot of times I think people look at their hand and they go oh I can have seven mana available to me on turn three or whatever (laughs) sometimes that's not a great hand if you don't have cards to back up to play do you have a card draw spell do you have a payoff for that seven mana because you can easily be like I could cast anything I draw Land, crap, okay, go. Yep. You know, you want to have gas in your hand. So what I found is the most important aspect of most uh, opening hands is I want some form of card draw. Yeah, and David Chang puts a great point here that we talk about. If David you... Chang's here? <laughs> yeah, the number, I love it. Uh, me too. And the documentary. Uh, if you have two cards in your hand that are such high CMC or mana value that you're legitimately not casting them, you can essentially imagine them as if they weren't there. Yes. So if you draw a hand of seven and three of the cards are uncastable, you've just drawn a hand of four. So that's is that better or is getting another hand of seven better? I, it, right, seven sounds better than four. Yeah, to me. seven definitely just sounds better yeah. than four. <laughs> oh, the current mulligan rule—that's a good question. So the current mulligan rule in multiplayer: you draw seven cards after you shuffle your deck, and then you are allowed one free mulligan. So you can shuffle either. You can do it two ways. You can either just draw the next seven cards off your deck, which is why I like doing if I don't want to shuffle, or you shuffle the original seven, shuffle, and then draw another free seven. 
After that, it goes into standard mulligan rules. Every mulligan you take after that, you draw the full seven, but if it's the first time you mulliganed, you remove one card and go down to six, and then that card goes in the bottom of your library. If it's the second time you've done it, you still draw seven, but now you take two cards off and you put it on the bottom of your library. Right. The se- he means first and second time after you've the, taken the, the free, free mulligan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that mulligan rule is actually the best we've had yet. It is by far the best. We used to have all sorts of different mulligan rules, partial Paris, and then ma- regular Magic had different ones as well. I think this makes the most sense. It's not that breakable, and it, it just gives you the most access, which is most important, because you're looking at the 99 cards in the deck you want to be able to see more. Mulliganing the 5 and the 99 card deck is very feel-bad. <laughs> but I've won many games where I've mulliganed down to 6. I think that's not yeah. that disadvantageous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. when the game goes to turn 5, 6, 7, and you've cast some big mu- spell that completely shifts the tide of the game, then your initial mulligan really doesn't matter at that point. All right, let's move on to mistake number three, which we did a little registration uh, question when people registered for this event. And oh, yeah. this was easily the mistake, because the question we asked everyone when they registered was like, what's a mistake you make all the time? This was number one for sure among those people. It is bad threat assessment. Okay, so let's describe what threat assessment is. Threat assessment is assessing threats. So you're looking around the table with three other players. Someone plays a card or someone does something, and you need to assess whether or not that is sort of the level and size of the threat. Is it something that's imminently bad for you or your other players? Is it going to end the game? Is it going to threaten to destroy a huge part of your board? What is the actual level of threat? Because if it's like a little, you know... Tin soldier with a little pea gun, not that bad. If it's a tank rolling in or something that's like an airplane-sized threat, then it's going to be a different thing. And you need to be able to assess the levels of many different cards at the same time. It's very difficult in Commander because there's so many players, and it changes in relation to other things. So Jimmy plays like a 2-2. You're probably not that scared about the 2-2 because... It can't attack for very much damage. You start at 40 life. It depends on what the ability has, though. Let's say he plays... This is not a 2-2. Let's say he plays a Deathrite Shaman. Ah. If he plays a Deathrite Shaman, if I'm a player with just a regular deck, it might not be that big of a deal. However, if I play... uh, If I'm playing a Graveyard deck, now all of a sudden the Deathrite Shaman might threaten to just shut off my main strategy, right? Because yep. it, it, it exiles things out of graveyards, and I'm trying to regrow my creatures or something. So now all of a sudden my threat assessment on the Deathrite Shaman might be kind of a lot higher than you would think. So it really depends on what I'm playing, what my opponent's playing. But then let's say the Deathrite Shaman's out there, right? And then somebody plays a Blightsteel Colossus. <laughs> that is an instant kill-me-in-one-hit type of card, and that may immediately change my threat assessment to like, well, okay, now the Blightsteel becomes the thing I'm that the most scared to, right? about. But... Bad threat assessment happens, I think, in those moments because those two cards, let's say they're out there and yeah. you're playing a graveyard deck. If the Blightsteel Colossus player is not likely to attack you with the Blightsteel Colossus, Ooh, I like and that. this is where I think people make mistakes, you might actually, the, the Deathrite Shaman might be the thing that you are supposed to get rid of because there are a lot of ways to deal with the Blightsteel Colossus, and one of the ways is just block it with some creatures. Yeah. Another way is know that it's not going to hit you first. So time is a resource, right? And threat assessment is interesting because it does, like you're saying here, play into so many different levels of things. There's a level of politics. Does the player have their target on your back? Does the player even care to look at you at this point? Are the players engaged somewhere else so that you don't have to worry about this thing? Is this a threat that actually shuts your deck down, but more importantly, shuts another deck down that you're more scared of? All these things balance in the threat assessment, and I think the best way to learn it for a lot of people is just through experience. Playing a lot of different games, and also listening to what people are saying, whether or not they think, oh yeah, you know, this is 
you have to shut this down because of X, Y, and Z, you're going to learn a lot. I, I've had so many games uh, at conventions and stuff where we'll play, something will happen, and everyone will go, yeah, whatever, and they'll go, hold on, hold on, this is bad because of this and that, and you watch the player that played it go, oh, no, he's cracked the case. <laughs> and then other players go, oh, and then it's dealt with accordingly. But a lot of cases where we get people saying, yeah, threat assessment is something we make a mistake on, that doesn't happen. The player instantly wins the game, and everyone goes, oh, shucks, we should have known. Yeah, I think everybody's had many, many games where you lose the game, and at the end of the game, you're thinking, I removed a thing earlier, and if I just <laughs> wouldn't have done that and would have held that card, I could have survived this thing that killed us. That actually mattered, And yeah. the thing earlier was probably bad, but not to the point of, like, I immediately lose the game. And most, I think, really good players, they eventually get to a point where they hold their removal for stuff that's going to immediately kill me or, right. or end the game. And... I would say to a lot of players, especially beginning players, I would err on the side of holding removal a little too long because you rarely see the mistake of I held too much removal and I didn't use it. Yeah. You more often see the mistake of I used my removal at a point Early. and I wish I had it for later. So if you find yourself in the position where like I had that removal stuff in my hand and I just didn't deploy it, mm -hmm. um, then maybe move towards using it more. But I think most people are on the side of I've been deploying my removal uh, too aggressively, not holding it enough, and so you should move towards that side of the, the, of the spectrum, I guess. Yeah, threat assessment is great. Uh, Spike Fierce has a good point. Talk to players about the stuff that happens after the game. Yeah. Uh, even just like, a, wow, wasn't that crazy when X, Y, and Z happened? It doesn't need to come with, like, you should have done this, but having the exploration of what happened. When we used to listen to limited resources, uh, a big thing they always talked about in limited is you can replay your games on MTGO. Yeah, just watch the replays. And you would be astounded when you replay a game how many decision points you go, wait a minute, I could have done something totally different there. Why didn't I see that? In the heat of the moment, it's really hard to do. So threat assessment is just one of those skills, I think, if you're conscious of it, keep working at it, and you're going to get better, especially with sort of the group there to help you. When in a great play group like that, you can learn a lot. Yeah, I like what Cato7311 said there, which is using instant speed removal at sorcery speed is also a thing that you see sort of newer players do. Right. You, the reason you want instance in your deck is because you can wait until the moment where it actually is actively against you. So the Blight Steel when they turn sideways and declare you as the, the person they're yeah. attacking, then you can remove it. Uh, where sorcery speed makes it, obviously, you have to project and, and predict what's going to happen rather than being able to see it. Yeah. Threat assessment is definitely one of those very unique to commander games. Typically, in a lot of board games, you're just figuring out how am I going to win. Right. And you're building your little economy up or whatever it is. In Magic, you have to deal with the other forces at the table. And doing so in a good way, that's good threat assessment. Takes time. All right, we could probably do an entire episode about threat assessment. In yeah, fact, yeah. we have, but we got to move on. Otherwise, <laughs> we've we're not done actually do the a couple of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to mistake number four, and this is jumping priority. Bring. So we've all been in this situation, right? A player at the table does something, and then somebody else at the table goes, "I'm gonna," and they're not the next player in turn order. Yeah. And you have an answer to it in your hand that you probably were gonna use, and you go, uh, "Oh." I'll just let that. I'll just let that person take care of it. Then yeah. they already. So what they did there by jumping priority is they denied the ability for one of their opponents to take care of the problem for them. Yeah, and maybe even do so in a way that is way more beneficial for them. Maybe that opponent that was their best removal spell and they were scared. Maybe they just saved you your best removal spell. Whatever it is, jumping priority is really easy to do because. Magic's exciting. Yeah. It's such a fun, interactive experience that when someone does something and you're like, I've been waiting all game to get someone with this, and this is my chance, 
you forget that other players are similarly, maybe the same convert, exact same inner monologues going through their head, but you go, I'm going to cross and verge that, or cross and grip that. It's like, oh, nice. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to do that. Right, exactly. Thank I'll goodness. just sit here because you jumped over me, and I would have done something. Uh, somebody in the chat brought up priority bullying, which is a thing in CDH that happens, which I think is a little bit differently, where they kind of give people, a, like they pass the priority. Oh, on purpose. On a really scary thing, just being like, I dare you. To not remove it, otherwise we're all going to lose. If they know you have a I removal see. spell, yeah, yeah. So you're you're forcing someone else because you're you're first in turn order. You're like, well, I'm going to give it two more shots. You can kind of play chicken a little. Like I've got right, the removal, right. but I know somebody else probably has it. And if they're last in priority order, I can pass priority and just be like, you know, if you don't stop the combo, we all lose. Yeah, and make them use their removal because they're going later in priority. That's priority bowling. Jumping priority, I think, in casual circles is a little bit more common, which is where... I do it all the time, too, just because I'm excited. You're excited, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're scared, like, oh, I got to kill that thing, and right. your brain says, kill right. it right now, rather than go... The good thing to do is go, okay, so that's on the stack. Let's let's go through priority. Do you have any responses? Responses? Uh, no, I got nothing. Yeah, okay, I got nothing. How about you? Yeah. So, and the thing is, if you only do that in moments where you have something, your playgroup <laughs> will know. And every time you go they'll into go like, a, let's oh, hold on right. mode, yeah, yeah, yeah they'll be yeah. like, he's got something. I'm just going to yeah. say I have nothing. So <laughs> you kind of have to do that in situations where you have nothing just to establish like, okay, hold on, let's slow down. Let's go through priority here and see who's got what. Yeah, And then so they know that you don't only do that in situations where you've got the answer. It's important, too, as a player to learn how priority works so that you don't make these mistakes. And they're very common. Uh, I still make similar ones all the time. I think something that is also important to realize is that even if something is a, the biggest threat to you, it may not be in your... And it, is it going to end your turn in one turn? Right. Five turns? Mm. If it's going to be five turns, maybe you don't have to deal with it now. Maybe you can convince someone down the road, hey, this affects you a little less, but boy, it really affects you a lot. Is there anything you can do about it? There's ways to use the patience that you get from holding priority and, and understanding timing that makes a big difference. Yeah, we did a whole episode on priority in the stack, and the way it works in multiplayer can get kind of complex, but understanding that uh, can really help you navigate situations and yeah, and and get advantages where you think you don't have any. So yeah, I mean a great a perfect example is the classic two for one. So let's say I go to attack Josh with a three three, and he has a five five. Josh is like, okay, well I'm gonna stick my five five in front of this and block it. And you go, oh, great, I'm gonna give this a giant growth. I'm gonna make it a six six and eat your five five. Josh goes in response, I'll remove your creature, and the target fizzles. Josh spent one card; they spent two. So because Josh waited to the last moment and said, if I'm going to attack you with this 3-3, three, three, or I'm going to remove it because I don't want to take the damage or whatever, Josh waited and holding that priority, giving that small advantage, an extra card in his hand, all that good stuff. All right, let's go on to mistake number five. This is the last one we're going to talk about before we move on to the Q&A. It is forgetting about politics. So I think a lot of players, especially players new to EDH, they look at the table, what's mm -hmm. out there, what cards they have out. They look at their hands, what cards they've got there, and... A lot of times they're thinking, oh, I can't do what I want to do or accomplish what I want to accomplish or get out of this situation with those resources. Ah. And they forget that there is a third resource that <laughs> only we have in multiplayer, which is your words. So a lot of times, and we talk about it on the show, I think, like, you know, trying to talk to other players and maybe get them to use their removal even when you have removal. But there yeah. are times when you just don't have any other option. You should think like, okay, maybe I can trade something with one of the other players. Mm. Maybe I've got something threatening to somebody that I can barter to answer a problem that I've got that I've got that I can't handle myself yeah especially if you're dead on board to something mm -hmm. but you know another player has the answer you can it's kind of like I pledge my life to you my liege there's lots of different ways to use your politics around the board and I think something that 
you may not realize, but politics isn't like a, well, now that, I've ex- now that I don't have any other option, I'm going to use politics. If you politic from the beginning, you kind of actually grow and accrue an amount of value that is growing over the course of the game. Like it's, it's, easy, it's, it's easy as being like, hey, we're friends this game, right? From turn one, if you're just like, we're friends this game, right? You can bring that up a couple more times. That has paid off huge dividends across multiple turns off of one sentence. Then you can say things like, you know, a friend would help me remove that enchantment. <laughs> <laughs> and then the friend will go, yeah, what am I going to get for it? And you go, okay, how about I do this for right. you because you can see I can do it, right? So there's becomes a like a building upon relationship, and that's a lot of fun in, in Commander games. You have multiple relationships, and you're using them in different ways throughout the, the whole game. I think this is related to threat assessment, too. In order to be good at bartering and politics and, and understand that kind of stuff, you kind of need to know not just your threat assessment, but your right. opponent's threat assessment to everything else. So you can understand that, like, hey, maybe uh, I'm yeah. in a Rakdos deck. I'm not very good at removing enchantments. But I can get rid of artifacts pretty easy or creatures, mm. and I know that that creature is probably scary to Jimmy. So I can maybe say like, "Hey, listen, that enchantment is tough for my deck to handle. I only have like two cards that can do it, and I don't have them in hand. But I know that creature is scary to you. What if right. I made this deal with you? Where I get rid of that, you get rid of that for me, and that's a way to get yourself out of sticky situations that your deck is just you know naturally not built to handle." Yeah, I played a Shadrix Silverquill deck recently on game nights, and one of the players was lagging a little behind, so I gave them free stuff. And knowing that that free stuff, if it ever came at me, oh, that would be such a, that'd just be a distrustful move. I know it's not going to happen. So it's like a safe outlet to grow a friendship and get mutual benefits. So there's lots that happens to politics. Um, As always, we have, again, a billion episodes about this. So you can always just go dive deep on that. Politics, one of our favorite topics. Absolutely. Okay. That is going to do it for that section of this live episode, The Worst Mistakes Commander Players Make. Uh, But I did want to bring up, because um, during the registration People were able, like we said, to, to sort of bring up the mistakes they make all the time. So yep. I wanted to call some of those out. Uh, Juan Z, we'll just use their last initial, said, A lot of times I get so immersed in the fun of the game that I forget to counter something that can kill me. Wow, interesting. Have you ever done that? I actually just did this against you in a game of Limited like a few <laughs> days ago. Where you were like, in during attacks, yeah. I was lining up my blocks and I was like, Oh crap! I have a counter spell in my hand. Why did I just counter that thing? But I was so immersed in like worrying about how I was going to deal with your attack that I just forgot to counter <laughs> the, a thing. The thing went through. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. That definitely happens to me in a lot of games too, where you don't. You're like, I'm just going to. You know what? Just let them have their fun, and you forget. Like at the end of their fun was the real piece that yeah. you could not let them have. <laughs> uh, Alex G said, "Being overly cautious is a mistake. Sometimes you just have to force a response, especially uh, because your opponents might be bluffing. Yeah, we call that making them have it. Making them have it. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting." Because if your politics group, your group, it's like, yeah, you don't want that. Okay, Barry H. says, building up a board state too quickly and becoming a threat too early. That's Craig Blanchett. (laughs) This next one was probably the second most common response besides bad threat assessment. It was forgetting your triggers. Uh, And I can't name everybody that did it, but Russell W., Dakota F., Jacob H., Richard M., Lada P., Andre B., tons of people said forgetting triggers. One of the keys to remembering your triggers, because they're usually during upkeep or something like that, is to like play something on top of your deck. A dice, a coin, yeah. Yeah, so that way when you go to draw your card, you remember, oh, I had an upkeep trigger. It's yeah, harder with things like Rhystic Study and uh, Smothering Tide that happen during other players' turns. But, but it, you is, can... it is your responsibility, I'll yep. say that much. Uh, and then we from Andrew M., Mehmet F., and Ron W., tapping mana wrong. Which I think is related to knowing your deck. It's kind of the same issue where like, if you tap wrong, yeah. you might just not leave yourself the right mana to do what you want to do uh, in sequence. All right, so we've been collecting some audience questions throughout. Uh, Lady Danger is going to be feeding them to us on the screen here, so we're going to be looking up and answering them. I, I think we are ready. We're ready. We're ready. Hit us, lady. Hit us. Right, drop, drop some spiciness. Drop it like it's hot. 
Gerard Whitaker asks, what is the best way to gauge opponent's decks before the game begins? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, really good question. Um, I would say there's two ways. Obviously, the commander, you can see it. Right. If you're generally familiar with what that commander does or how it's normally built. And a great way to find this out is we do set review episodes for every single set. Mm -hmm. So if there's a commander in the last five years, we've probably talked about, uh, you know, at least in a general sense, how it's built. Um, And then... I think the the underutilized one, because that's obviously knowledge you already have and is going right. to come to you when you look at it. It's Turgrid. You're like, okay, yes, I'm going to try and kill <laughs> oh, that person gosh. first because that is going to be <laughs> Don't a pain. Don't want none of that. Yeah. Um, but if you see a commander that you're not familiar with, uh, or even one that you are, but you're, it could be built in multiple ways, yeah. then I would just, you can ask the player. A lot of times I'll just know yeah. the combo in the deck and be like, you got your Dramatic Scepter in there. Oh, right. You know, because that will change what level of deck it is. If you don't, then is it more casual? Yeah. Yeah, but if you have the infinite combo version, then, like, okay, I have to be a little more careful, or I yeah. maybe I'm changing my deck because I want to match the power level you're if at. If you're at, like, one of those streetcar races, like, you're going up to the other car and being like, what kind of durable, turbo <laughs> diesel you got in that thing? Is it a right. V20, blah, blah, blah? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's got X, Y, and Z, and you're like, ha got all the notes. So I like that table talk. Um, for me, too, I think knowing the player and how they build. Mm. So if you know the player and you know generally, oh, they're this kind of player, they're going to do it like that, you're going to have a better understanding of where, maybe where the power level is or what kind of interactions they're going for. So you can make some predictions about it. I also think a big thing is you can be having this conversation as the game gets going. Yeah. And you can be feeling it out. Oh, okay, they tutor for that. Oh, they were talking about this before. I wonder if they put it in the deck. So there's a lot of context clues there, too. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back with more discussion from this live episode. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well. Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. 
tomorrow, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we're back. Let's continue now with Command Zone Live. All right, lady, you got another, another one for us? Okay, question and number two. And, of course, two. we have some brand new questions coming in, too, so we'll try and grab some. All right, the Crimson Yoshi. How do you square maximizing... Uh, your mana efficiency turn after turn against avoiding overextending into wraths. Oh, okay, so they're balancing two things here. You want to maximize mana efficiency, play as many cards as possible, but you also don't want to play so hard that your wrath, uh, someone that plays a wrath or a board wipe, wipes you out entirely. Yeah, you don't want to stick your neck out so far that one wrath, you basically cannot win. Right. And I think understanding that you have that type of deck that is vulnerable to a wrath is key and not just how you play, but also how you build it. Hopefully you have right. some protection built into your deck so that you know you have an answer for Wraths and you're not overextending until a moment where you do have that protection. You have Teferi's Protection right. or Heroic Intervention or something like that in your hands. Until then, you play cautiously. And I would say like you want to think about the cards in your hand, what types of Wraths are out there. Maybe you're playing an enchantment or an artifact, and even though you have a couple of more creatures in your hand, just because, like, ah, I've got three or four creatures out, mm-hmm. I can put some pressure on my opponents, what are the extra creatures going to do? Are they going to threaten a win next turn? If not, then maybe I'm just going to hold one or two back, advance my board in other ways. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that you make sure that if you're doing a card like the Great Henge, for instance, that you're not just playing it passing the turn. You can play it and then use it mm. to cast two creatures. You're drawing two cards. And so it's a big threat. People will want to remove it. You know it's one of those pieces that when it goes down, people go, okay, time to board wave now so that you actually can get some use of it and refill your hand a little bit. So that's another thing is just knowing not to just dump it all out and being like, cool, my engine's set up, and uh, I'm just going to let you all have a turn now before I can use it. So that is something I see a lot of players do, which is just like, I'm so excited to get it all down that I forgot that because it's down, I'm going to get board wiped. You're the one causing it in a lot of ways. I really like that. Just understanding your play pattern and getting some value from it immediately. It's like you don't play the Seedborn Muse and pass the turn and not have ways to use those mana (laughs) on the other player's turn. Uh, if if that's the case, you just don't play the Seedborn Muse yet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, even yeah. if it means doing nothing, sometimes that is the right thing to do. Mana efficiency is important, and we've talked about it on the show during the Mana Curve episode, which was yesterday, about you know the idea that the player that spends the most amount of mana wins. Wins, yeah. But that's, you know... Then becoming that's like becoming good at magic. Now becoming really <laughs> good at magic involves understanding when that ki- that is not the case, and you need to break that rule. Yeah, and sometimes your man efficiency efficiency is just about how am I going to play two ramp spells and a card draw spell this turn? Not necessarily advance my board with enchantments and artifacts and things that are building towards the Johnny combo. All right, lady. Let's what else? We, what else? One. That was a good question. That I was a great that question. One, yeah. yeah. 
Cooper Overstrom asks, Jimmy and Josh, what was the card that made you fall in love with magic? Oh, well, I know Jimmy's answer. You go first. Well, there's a couple, but they're all around the same thing. So back in the day when I played in third grade on the pavement outside my uh, middle school. Is it middle school? No, uh, before middle school. Like kindergarten, pre- elementary pre- school. Yeah, elementary school, yeah. Uh, it was a couple. The first was Lightning Pole. Yeah, that's what and, I was going to say. And it was, my goodness. <laughs> Casting because at back in the day you could put as many lightning bolts into beautiful a deck as you simplicity. Want. You just had lands, lightning bolts, incinerate, fireball. That yeah. was the deck, and that, that to me, I was like, this is the peak of Magic: The Gathering. I cannot believe I can do this. Um, and then one day, another card that really made me fall in love. I was in the bus, and I remember a kid waving around the nightmare. Oh boy! And the nightmare with the the galloping horse with the flames. To me, as a child, I was I thought. You know, that we have a newer and version of it now. And you have dreams of, like, it could be any size. Yeah, it could be huge. <laughs> if this game goes long enough, it could be a 30-30. Yeah, there was also, what was the Gaia, the old man guy? Oh, guy's one? Liege. Guy's Liege, yeah. Those, and I was like, Star, Star, XX. I was like, what is happening? Yeah, that could be any size. Yeah, I imagine Guy's Liege, we're seeing him on screen right now, I imagine him being the size of, like, a house, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> he just slowly grows over the course of the week. Yeah, he's a massive tree. <laughs> But yeah, those cards, because they just had such big numbers and the stars, it felt to me like unlimited potential. Yeah. And that is what got me in. How about you? Uh, it was Tim, for sure. Uh, and I Prodigal think, Sorcerer. Yeah, I was really enamored of the tricky things you can do mm. in Magic early on. And just the ability to, like, you know, respond to, like, their giant growth or whatever and kill the thing in yeah, response. Yeah, yeah, or like, it. yeah. Get it out. It just feels like you have so much power when you're like, okay, at any time I can do this one damage. It doesn't seem like a lot, but then you play a second Tim and you're like, well, uh-huh, now it's two now damage. It's two. Yeah. Ping, ping, and ping, like ping, half ping. the creatures in your deck suck now. That's and great. Like, but if you don't play them, then I'll just deal two to you. <laughs> you know. And that's a clock. Yeah, before my turn starts. So I, I think that was one of the things. And the stack didn't exist back then. As oh, right. It wasn't called the stack, but there was a sort of priority system. Yeah. And I don't know. You just get to feel clever by using Tims too, which I've always liked about Magic. Have there been any recent cards? that have made you being like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's hmm. neat. That's interesting. I think I like these modal, like Sublime Epiphany is one of my favorite cards. That's yeah. just like The art is awesome on it, too. I love Sublime Epiphany. You just feel so safe when you have it and you have the mana open. Like, I can do all these things. Yeah. Like, all of them. All at once, too. And, like, anything that happens, I feel like I'm going to have an answer. Yep. Yeah, yep. I'll copy it. I'll make, you know, I'll bounce it. I'll counter it. Like, I, I just... I can do everything. Yeah, I can do it I'm all. I'm in full control. Yeah. Yep. How about you? Is there uh, a recent card? Mech Titan Core. It's a really oh, dumb card, yeah. but it's really... It just appeals. It's kind of bringing me back to my childhood again, where it's like, I could do what? I could make the Mech Titan. It's crazy. It's huge. It's bounceable. That thing is <laughs> legit in uh, Limited, though. I've... Oh, I've I built bet. the deck around it a couple of times and actually killed people with it. Like I thought it was like a meme thing, but no, that, no. that deck is quite good. Yeah. I saw well, Kenji, I saw stifle the trigger oh. <laughs> with the uh, the two in the blue, the yeah. big the turtle, the sky turtle, or whatever, wow. and uh, instant concede. Wow, wow. <laughs> All right, ladies, yeah, got let's another get one another up. question up here. Oh, but Tim, Josh, one damage. Why not three? Lightning bolt. What? <laughs> because then I use it. Tim just sits out there. Uh oh. Um, Let's put in another question or the same one again because... Uh, okay, so, so Aaron, Aaron Stoffers yeah. is asking what advice we have for new players that are playing against people who have been playing for a long time. So, yeah, when there's like a, a, a knowledge or experience gap right, right. between uh, yourself and the But you want to get in. I, a lot of players are in this exact position, actually. Yeah, especially right now, right? Commander's as popular as it's yeah. ever been. A lot of people have been playing for a while, but a lot of people are coming in. I think, first of all, Aaron, you're doing the right thing, right? Because you're online consuming content, and that yeah. is a way to kind of increase your knowledge and experience. Uh 
through watching the gameplay. You know, there's Game Nights and Extra Turns, of course, but there's so many gameplay shows out there now and so much amazing Commander content. A lot of those creators are in the chat right now. There are, you know, the Spike Feeders are in here. Yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's tons of Commander content on YouTube and on Twitch that you can consume to kind of give you give you the knowledge a little bit faster than you're probably going to gain if you just were to play games, just jam, jam games by yourself. Um, and then there's stuff like EDH Rec, the website. There's articles and things like that. Scryfall is great once you get oh, a little yeah. more into it. And just so many articles. So many people are now writing and engaging about Magic content. I think if you're going to go out and buy a deck, Josh and I talk about this all the time, the pre-cons that Watsi's making are fantastic. They're well-balanced these days. They have all the pieces and... Importantly, they can work just out the box. So even if you're looking to just sit down and play and, and not go through the hurdle of, I need to build a whole deck and figure out all these decisions and buy cards, getting a pre-con, sleeving it up, and as long as the players at the table, I think, know that you're a brand new player or you're just going into the format, they can play in a way and also bring out decks that are a lot of fun in that environment. I like what uh, the Spike Feeders are saying here, and is that Jim, I don't know which Spike Feeder it is, uh, that I love asking more experienced players about how they're assessing and prioritizing prioritizing threats at the table during the game. Ah. So, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, piece of advice, which is if you're playing with more experienced players, converse with them, especially in between games, before and after games. You know, ask them about questions you had during the game, how they're viewing things. That will help you sort of download their knowledge. Yeah, or even just going, why? If they say something. Yeah, why did you do that? Yeah, why why, why is that the case? Why is it that, that dangerous? Oh. Yeah, ask questions, too. Don't be afraid to be like, okay, I see that card. I read it. I don't understand what it does. Mm-hmm. Can you explain it to me? Or, huh, why would you be playing that? That doesn't make sense to me. I haven't seen a deck like this before. Yeah. People yeah, are yeah. very happy. Trust me. They spend a <laughs> lot of time like building their decks, acquiring the cards, right? If you ask a Magic player, hey, will you explain your deck to me? None of them are going to say no. They're yeah. all like, oh, heck yeah. Let me tell you. Sit down, by the way. My wife How never does, but do I will have? certainly <laughs> tell you. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like the things that we love talking about the most are ourselves a little right. bit. And yeah. so it's really easy to get that coming out from players. Just at least that that familial and, and sort of shared knowledge. Because I think the when you play with better players as well, it's the same with fighting games like Smash Bros. You ascend to about the level that they're at, and then that there's like a keep a peak there. Mm-hmm. And then if you go and play with new groups, you're going to ascend to that level. So the ability to grow within a player group is really important, and just find ways to do so. Ask questions, uh, be curious, all that good stuff. Yeah, and Aaron, we did just have an episode come out a couple of weeks ago called How to Get Into Commander. Yeah. And it's about people in your position who are just kind of starting out, getting involved, uh, and trying to get more experience quickly. Yeah. All right, lady, I think we have uh, time for one or two more. All right. Ah, the spike feeders. All right. What are some unpopular strategies to avoid when I'm playing against strangers? Oh, yes. So it is a social format, and not everybody's cool with all the strategies that are possible (laughs) in Magic. That's a thing to know about Commander. I think strategies in general that that sort of clamp down on your opponent's abilities to play the game are generally in casual not seen in the the sort of greatest light. So, yeah, things that hold people back or stop them from doing stuff. Everyone came to the table to play, and if you make it so someone cannot, that is generally the biggest no-no. Yeah, so I would say things like heavy discard theme. Like, if your goal of your deck is to make it so your opponents have no cards in hand with which to play the game, yeah. generally people are not going to really like that playing against that strategy. Turgrid is a great example of this. Tiny Bones. Uh, there's a lot of this theme in Magic, and typically it was built and balanced for 1v1, but over time, the abilities for these cards have gotten stronger, and more cards that synergize with them, so I'll avoid that. I would also say the easiest one is stacks. So stacks is cards like stasis, uh, winter orb, things that basically make sure that you cannot untap things. Untapping means that you can't use them anymore. Not using them anymore means you're not playing the game. 
Yeah, I mean, Winter Orb's just everything, too, right? So, yeah. like, I can't even attack with my creatures because they don't untap. My uh, artifact... No, no, Winter Orb is land. Stasis, oh, I think, is everything. Oh, Stasis is everything. Yeah, 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 Sorry, yeah. Winter Orb's lands. Um, yeah, but either way, that is just saying to the, every player, like, hey, all the stuff you've got, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't untap. Yep. It doesn't do anything. So you can play more cards in it. They won't do anything either. That That's that same thing as as discard in a in a different angle, right? Which is just like, right. it doesn't matter what you do because you can't use this stuff. I think land destruction is a, a similar thing, right? Where it's like, hey, you just can't cast spells because you don't have any more mana. Yep, this Armageddon. Is, yeah, these are all the same theme. Just like, in general, I, I don't think these things are completely like you could never do it, but they're the type of strategies that you want to talk to the other players at the table about before you get into the game. You can't be in the middle of a game and be like, hey, by the way, <laughs> I'm a land destruction deck. People aren't generally no. not. They want to know what they're getting into and have agreed to it. And a lot of people will be like, oh, okay, cool. I understand that's the type of game it's going to be in. I'm going to get bring a deck. This, yeah, yeah. And then going in also, I know what to expect. And so when it happens to me, it doesn't feel like I got blindsided. And I'm like, yep, I have no cards in hand, but I signed up for this. Yeah, same goes for permission style decks. So if you're just sitting there and all you want to do is counterspell people over and over and over again, it may be the thing that you want to do most in Magic. I don't blame you for that. Some people want that. It's not going to work as well when it's, again, doing the same thing. Permission or stopping other players from what they're doing. So maybe there's a way that you could work the strategy into your deck but not make it the sole focus. And I think that's a better way of going about it. I think elements like stacks and mass land destruction, it's a little hard to like sprinkle it in there because then it's just, it's oppressive for no reason. You have to kind of build around it. But I think look at your play styles and ask, am I stopping other people or am I making it more fun? And typically if it's on the stopping other people, again, not putting a judgment against it, that will be less fun against new players, new groups, people that aren't as accustomed to playing in that bit more of a taking off the gloves type of fighting. All right. Ooh, new question. New question. From Gaming Night. Whoa, cool Whoa. name. Cool name. <laughs> I wonder where they got that from. Uh, what's your favorite unique slash gimmicky win con? Hmm. Wow. My favorite unique slash gimmicky win con. I'm thinking, do you have one? I don't think Infect is considered gimmicky. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> what do you mean, gimmicky? <laughs> gimmicky is like, it like plays a little tune afterwards and hits a cymbal. That's what Craig does every time he kills me with Infect. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you should mention that. Yeah, he taps a couple bongo drums, <laughs> <put> up, <laughs> and then he gets dragged off the stage with a cane. Um, I would probably think my favorite unique slash random win con, oh, man, this is tough. I don't tend to like these type of win cons. Yeah. Like, approaching the second sun, like, every time, <laughs> I never have cast it, but every time somebody beats me with it, I'm just like, dang it. It, it often feels like, like, my deck just can't do anything about that. So I, so this it, is your least favorite unique I don't like gimmicky, gimmicky win, win cons that much. Yeah, like, what's the card where if you have 100 mana or 200 mana or whatever you win? Oh, I've lost yeah, to that a couple the, of the, times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Helix something. What's the name of that card, Jamie? Helix Pinnacle. Helix Pinnacle, That's why yeah. Jamie's back there and we're up yeah, here. Yeah, I got the I first part of the it, card. yeah. <laughs> I think this is actually kind of freaking hilarious. I mean, it's hard to do, so when somebody does it to you, you feel like, yeah, that's my Yeah, fault. how about you can only do this if you don't generate infinite mana? Right, <laughs> it right. It just has to be just absurd if amounts of regular mana. If you generate infinite mana, you don't need to do this. You just cast all the spells in your deck. Like, yeah, but fine. you're not winning with Helix Pinnacle. <laughs> uh, how about this? Biovisionary is probably my favorite gimmicky uh, way to win the game. That's actually... I don't mind that one so much, yeah. Because it's hard. tough. You have to yeah. set it up, yeah, and it's very hard. Biovisionary says, at the beginning of your end step, if you control four or more creatures named Biovisionary, you win the game. It's commander. You can only play one in your deck. <laughs> uh, how do you protect your, uh, or store your cards? 
Oh, how do you store okay, your cards? So, yeah, this is a good one we can cover. Yeah, this is a question I guess a few people have asked. Yeah. How um, do you store your cards? Oh, I'm the worst at this. So I just. Oh, <laughs> how do you I'm wish bad. you store your cards? Yeah, you you actually organized all your cards. Recently, I did right? recently, okay, and it's still a mess. So for me, uh, I like to think about it is if I'm going to go make a deck, I want to be able to grab the cards I want, and I need to be able to do so based on creatures, or if it's an instant, or if it's a sorcerer, or if it's an enchantment, or it's a planeswalker. So I separated my collection into those categories. So each color, and then by creature, instant, sorcery, enchantment, planeswalker, artifacts. Now we have some colored artifacts. And then I put them into their own binders, and Ultra Pro actually has a lot of colored binders that are exactly those colors. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I match the color up so that I can have a, I can just look at my collection and go, oh, cool, I need to pull out a uh, land tax. Enchantments, artifacts are in this binder. Boom, grab it. There it is. I'm very impressed. It took me six months. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, on and off. And I spent a lot of time someday sitting there being like, I'm going to dedicate hours to this today. And afterwards, I'm like, whoo, wipe the sweat off, turn around, and it's like, boom, <laughs> the Tower of Cards is still there. That's the type of thing that when you're in the middle of organizing too, you can't stop, right? You have to yeah. finish. Otherwise, yeah. you just may have a huge mess everywhere. Yeah, yeah. so it was a huge mess. I just <laughs> randomly take the stacks of cards, put them into white, uh, you know, BCW style yeah. boxes, and then stack those in a closet and never go in the closet again. That's how I organize. Yeah, so I think if you want to organize, think of a system, and then also have ways to organize uh, cards that don't deserve to be in a binder. So like be- those kinds of boxes are great. Um, even old deck boxes you don't use anymore are great with the store extra cards all right thanks everybody for the questions we're going to move on to the last section of the episode here otherwise we're not going to have time to finish and that is the very exciting announcements about commander legends Baldur's gate uh blake on weekly mtg last week they did a stream and they call it a pre-beat but it's basically like them talking about this set that doesn't come out until june 10th yeah Uh, so the next set that's coming out is Streets of New Capenna, mm-hmm. but Baldur's Gate is the set after that, and they just wanted to release some information, and they actually revealed some cards. So we wanted to give our first impressions of the cards we saw from the set and just kind of talk about the set in general. So the first exciting thing that they announced is that they are reprinting the original Battle Bond lands, the allied color-paired lands. What do right. they say? Uh, they come in untapped unless you control, unless two you have two or, or more, more opponents. opponents. Yeah. yeah, so they also released a bunch of art, which you're seeing on screen now. And by the way, if you didn't know, Commander Legends, this is the second time they've done the Commander Legends set, and this is specifically for our format. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I didn't go over that. Which is really exciting. So here are the lands they're reprinting, which are perfect. So they enter the battlefield tapped unless you have two or more opponents. And guess what? In Commander, you're typically playing with groups of four or five. You're going to have these come into untapped play untapped almost always yep and that's an untapped dual land basically uh which is really exciting and they have the nice extended arts too which i will 100 percent be getting yeah you need these in all the decks in commander that can play these the colors so this is five of them they you know they, they were getting pretty rare because they got printed originally in battle bond which is a few years yeah, ago supplementary now. set was yeah. the main set commander legends is going to be a lot more of it out there because there are so many commander players yeah. so these are great lands for your decks um just like I think the perfect design as well for our format. It's great. Uh, and they announced the reprint of Reflecting Pool also, Ooh. which is another card that is very important to go in multicolored decks, but was definitely getting hard to find because they haven't reprinted in a while. Yeah, I love the art on this. Yep. And it's all from Dungeons and Dragons Worlds. Add one mana of any type of the land you control could produce. So if you have one of those triomes, a land that produces three mana, this comes in and is basically a copy of that land. Yep. And it comes in untapped. This goes in everything that's a three-color plus deck, right? For yeah. sure you oh, want for this. for sure. But that, that's, a, that's an ideal, right? I don't have 
that many reflecting pools. I have way more three-color decks than I have reflecting pools. Very good point. So the fact that they're reprinting it means that there's a bunch of my decks that will now have one of these that didn't before, so that's great. Yeah. Okay, they also spoiled four brand new cards from the set, so we're going to go through them really quickly here and just give our initial thoughts and read them out, and uh, maybe in chat you could throw out some suggestions for some cards that synergize with them. Yeah, how much time we got? We got about 15 minutes, so we can spend a little time on them. All right, the The first first one is... is... (laughs) Go ahead. Elder Brain. Elder Brain. Oh, my goodness. All right, so five black black for a 6-6 six, six creature horror menace. When Elder Brain attacks a player, exile all cards from that player's hand, then they draw that many cards. You may play lands and cast spells from among the exiled cards for as long as they remain exiled. If you cast a spell this way, you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. Did you read that off that screen over there? Yeah, my eyes kind of hurt. I, I had to blink a couple of times and I was LASIK, really afraid. LASIK, everybody. <laughs> LASIK. Like, Jeez, I cannot read that from there. Yeah, I've got the elder phone. brain and the elder eyes, elder Josh. Eyes. <laughs> it was his birthday, like, yesterday. Yeah. So he's <laughs> there an you elder go. now. Oh, here we go, elder brain. That, this card's awesome. It's very cool. I mean, seven man, obviously, so it's a pretty big investment and it has to attack. So Yes, but not do count damage and it has menace, so it's hard to block as well. Right. I think the first thing with this card is you want to make sure you're choosing the right player that's got the best cards in their hand, so you probably want cards that let you look at players' hands. There's cards like Telepathy, Mm. uh, Glasses of Urza is a really good one. You just tap it and you look at somebody's hand, so that'll allow you to choose the right player when you're attacking them with the Elder Brain. Yeah, this is definitely Send Triplets type deck, because you're playing stuff out of other players' decks. Uh, There's also Casting from Exile. That's We've seen a lot of this now in Magic, so Sage of the Beyond allows you to cast spells from Exile for two mana less. It was actually, I think this is actually a fantastic card, because it refers to any card in exile, and so it works really well with this kind of effect. I mean, super good, because you exile their hand, they draw a new hand. Yeah. And all the cards that you exile are just cheaper. Right. So you might be able to string together, like, two or three of them, like, right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you spent seven mana on the Elder Brain, so how much mana do you have exactly? Hopefully. It's probably the next turn, though, because you had to attack. Yeah, hopefully you're finding a way to get the Elder Brain in and take another turn or flash <laughs> it in at instant speed. Uh, you also have Prosper Tomebound. This is, if you're not going to send triplets mm. route, you're going the red-black route, and this wants you to cast spells from exile, and you're making treasures as well, so maybe Elder Brain's perfect for Prosper. Yep. All right, let's... Oh, oh, is Sheen, Sheen right? Of course. Double combat triggers. Yeah, yeah might I like as well that. trigger it twice. That's good seems job, pretty good. Good job, chat. Good job. All right, let's move on to the next card that they uh, that they revealed, and this is an interesting one. It's called Wand of Wonder. Wonder. We had a in the office internally. We had some arguments because some people oh. think this card is good, and some people think this card is garbage. Uh, it is. Three. I think this card is wonderful. Josh. <laughs> let me re- let me read it. Three in red for an artifact. You can pay four and tap the Wand of Wonder, and then you roll a d20. Mm-hmm. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile an instant or sorcery card, then shuffles the rest into their library. You may cast up to X instant and or sorcery spells from among the cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. Whew, that's a lot of text. Right, but then you roll a d20, remember? So if one to nine... Uh, was your roll, then X is equal to 1. So you can cast one of the spells exiled. Okay. If you roll a 10 to 19, you can cast two of the spells exiled. Oh. And if you roll a nat 20, you can uh, (laughs) cast three of the spells you exiled. I I, guess if you're in a five-player game, you'll never be able to cast all the spells. Oh, I see. I kind of was like, I wish nat 20 was like, cast six spells. (laughs) Do it again. Repeat the process. Uh, so why do you think, Josh, this card is not so great? Wait, how do you know? I said there was a debate. How do you know uh, I'm well, one of the ones okay, that thinks I, I guess, good. spoiler alert, I talked to you yesterday about <laughs> it. So I'm of the, of the, of sort of on the same page as you, three and a red for a card, four man to use it. 
So eight mana for the first activation. Right. And we just talked about Elder Brain, and that's a seven mana card that needs to attack, and we are already a little down on it because it costs that much. And However, this is reusable, and you don't have to use it the turn that comes down. Right. It's just, you know, decks have, have good instants and sorceries, but there's also a lot of cultivates and ramble growths and things like that yeah. running around. So it is definitely possible to not get anything awesome. Maybe you get like a removal spell and two ramp spells, and it's like, okay, eight mana for a removal spell is not what I want. Right. What if you are in a deck that's all about rolling dice and you're playing Barbarian class or uh, Pixie Guide? So, so you can manipulate the dice roll a little yeah, bit Yeah, because I think if you're casting two spells each time, and I'd say if you roll the dice twice, you've got a good chance of rolling at least a 10 to a 19. You're yeah. statistically likely to. I think it's like 70% chance that you're getting between so, 10 and 19. Yeah. So eight mana now casting two spells off of players' libraries. Better? Sure. I guess if you're in a dice rolling deck, then yeah. this gets a little bit better. Yeah, the I think the the issue with this is that I've so many times done similar kinds of spells and you get a rampant growth. Yeah. <laughs> and you get a cyclone grip that bounce one thing. I mean, uh, I got Mind's Dilation out, spoiler alert, in the latest episode of Game oh, Nights. Right. And it didn't do a lot, right? Like you just whiff a little bit more and, and obviously Mind's Dilation can hit lands. Mm-hmm. So it's not the exact same as this, but there are less impactful spells in people's decks than you would think. Spells that are meant to be cast early and things like yeah. that. And people just aren't casting those when they draw them later in the game because they have other things to do. But this is going to hit some of that stuff, and that'll be your only choices sometimes. Yeah, I think you definitely play this in the Vrondis deck, which is a deck that Joe Manganiello played on Game Nights last time he was on the yeah, show. Yeah, every time you roll a dice, it hits Vrondis. Yeah, and you're yeah. getting more things as a result. You got the Enraged trigger there. Uh, and uh, you also have maybe uh, Zerda, the Dawnbreaker. So you can re- reduce the activation cost on right. a Wand of Wonder. Yeah, that might be usable. Is it a lot better if it's two to activate? I don't know. I, I think it's better. It, I think it's better because at that point, maybe you have other untapping abilities so that you can activate it multiple times. You have your unwinding clock out. You're using it multiple times for the turn rotation. At that point, though, I, it always comes down to this, right? You're building a deck, and you really like a card that can go into that deck, but are you going to warp your deck to play that single card? Right. It has to already fit in what the deck's doing. Exactly. You're not going to change the whole deck to play Wand of, Wand of Wonder. Yeah, so maybe there is a red-white build, because now you know they care about artifacts with Lorehold, that has some Wand of Wonder coursing through it. All right, there's two more cards left. One we don't have to talk about very long. It is Ancient Brass Dragon. Brass... I'll read it this time. I'm going to read it from my phone because I cannot read from that screen over there. <laughs> it is five uh, black, black also, a seven, six. It is an Elder Dragon, but not a legendary creature. Oh, just an Elder I Dragon. I think it's the first non-legendary Elder Dragon ever. I could be wrong about that. Seven, six with flying for seven mana. Whenever uh, it deals combat damage to a player, roll a d20. When you do, put any number of target creatures, uh, creature cards with total mana value X or less from graveyards onto the battlefield under your control where X is the result of the D20 that you rolled. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. You could roll big, get a 17, 18, put a ton of cards out. But there's a lot of effects that do this uh, already in black that are, you know, you got like, was the big ultimatum Genesis? Not Genesis. There's the... uh, the, It just brings it all back? Yeah. One of the ultimatums, I think it's Titanic. No, it's not Titanic. It's one of the ultimatums. We'll see if uh, if we can pull it up in time. But there are ways to do this. Eerie. Eerie ultimatum, right? Jamie, you're the best. This is seven mana as well. Obviously, a much more difficult uh, mana cost, but this card slaps, I think. Eerie ultimatum, but not necessarily Ancient Brass Dragon. Yeah, I mean, if you got the dragon theme going. uh, If anything, I think the art is why we showed that card, because I love the third version, and all the versions look great, but I love the art details that they do for the D&D stuff. Yeah, I would say that, you know, you want to get double strike on this, or Strionic Resonator, Lithoform Engine, get multiple triggers, and now you're really talking, but again, it's a seven mana spell. 
Um, feels like we won't see it that much. Let's move on to the card I think we are going to see a decent amount. Yeah. Which is the last one we're going to talk about for CLB. Minsk and Boo! So Minsk and Boo are back, and this time in Planeswalk, as a Planeswalker. Yeah, I can't read this one off the screen. There's too much text. It's <laughs> two a red and a green for a three loyalty legendary Planeswalker, Minsk. When Minsk and Boo, Timeless Heroes, enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may create Boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. And then Minsk and Boo has a plus one of put three plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature with trample and or haste. And his minus two is sacrifice creature. When you do, Minsk and Boo deals X damage to any target where X is that creature's power. If the sacrifice creature was a hamster, draw X cards. And the most important line of text of all, Minsk and Boo can be your commander. So all this right. Is a planeswalker that can be your commander. It's really interesting. Makes tokens, is very specific about what tokens it can have or what creatures it can affect. Because yeah. obviously, you know. Vorthos wise, Minsk wants to only like help out Boo. Boo, yeah. But I think, you know, you can build the deck so that you're giving other creatures trample and haste so the plus one oh, okay. can Very be cool. used. And there's a lot of equipment that do it. There's stuff like um Haunted Cloak, uh Chariot of Victory. Both of these are pretty cheap to equip and fairly cheap to cast and do give trample and haste would allow Minsk to give three plus one plus one counters to whatever creature they're equipped to. Yeah, that's huge. And Minsk gets a boot gets really big really fast. In that case, I love what you put in your Hero's Blade. This is a card that will instantly attach to Boo that comes out on the battlefield. And then if you want to sacrifice Boo for minus two on Minsk and Boo, you draw X cards and deal four damage to something. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And you could play Hero's Blade before you play Minsk and Boo. Play Minsk and Boo, Hero's Blade, or make the token, <laughs> Hero's Blade equips to it, and you can minus two the turn you played. Minsk and Boo, and that's, I think this is that sequencing we were kind of talking about yeah. earlier, where like, like you were talking about with the Great Henge, where it's like, okay, then I immediately deal four, that's going to kill an important creature, and draw four. Yeah. And now, even Doesn't if they matter. kill my commander, I feel pretty good about what just happened. And if they don't, during my upkeep, another Boo's going to come in, Hero's Blade's going to go onto it. Yeah, and you can start the process over again. Yeah. Uh, I think also uh, Mirror Box was a card that we were talking about, because you're making oh, Boo yeah. every single turn, no matter what, so you could have multiple Boo's. Uh, and they're all legendary, but they won't be affected by the legendary rule. Yeah, Mirror, mirror Box, because Boo has, uh, or Minsk and Boo have interesting text. We're used to it saying, like, if you don't already have the token, then make it. Then make it. But this one just says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may create a Boo, a legendary 1-1 red hamster creature token with trample and haste. So normally if you already had a Boo, you could create another one, but you'll have to, because of the legendary rule, sack one. Yeah. Mirror box means that, like, oh, you just keep making them every upkeep because the legendary rule doesn't apply. Very cool. You could also mutate onto Boo because it's not a human. And oh, turn it and into a turn... non, yeah, change the name of it and then make more Boos. Minsk's uh, negative ability only affecting hamsters is pretty limiting. Oh, that's because right. Boo is the only, as far as I know, hamster in Magic. But there are changelings, which mm. have all creature types. So I think you'd probably want a fair number of changelings in the deck to be able to use Minx, 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 Minsk's. Jeez, hard word to say. Um, yeah, Turian Negative Mauler. ability, yeah. Turian Maulers are a really good one because it's going to grow over time. Maskwood Nexus is from Kaldheim. This card is like the uh, changeling card. I'm just sad because the original Minsk and Boo that I play the commander around has white in it, and you have access to cards like... Uh, uh, Anointed Procession. Anointed Procession. Well, oh, yeah. Only good with Mirror Box, I suppose. But like Cathar's Crusade. And, like, and the best changeling of all time, Mirror Entity. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's interesting. I do think this is going to be a really fun deck, though, because I love flinging things around and throwing a hamster at someone's face every turn is pretty funny. Somebody on our team was saying, I think it was Truck, saying that this could maybe is a good polymorph deck. Oh. So there's cards like uh, 
transmogrify. Okay. And polymorph is a lot in blue, but also some in red, which allow you to use Boo as sacrifice fodder for a polymorph effect. And then if you only had, like, really huge scary creatures in your deck, that's all you're going to hit with something like right. this. So, if, you know, you've got Nyx Bloom Ancient. Ooh. You know, all, let's say all your creatures in there was only five or six mm-hmm. were huge scary stuff like Nyx Bloom or Ulamog Coast, like whatever. Yeah, the big um, ones, the big baddies. Then your polymorphs are always going to find one of those, right, because you're not going to have a lot of other creatures that you could hit. Yeah, that's cool. And the rest is stuff that's kind of, like, going to pump Boo or things like that. I like that. I like turning Boo into something bigger because that's kind of what it's all about in the game, in, in D&D as well. All right, we are... Uh, we're, we're right at one hour, Jimmy. I'm pretty proud of us for fitting yeah, this good all in, timing. first of all. And a chat, uh, we, can't, we didn't read every single thing on screen, but we've been seeing it scroll by, and it's been really exciting. So it's kind of cool. It makes me want to do some more live stuff in the future. Well, you're in luck, Jimmy. Good segue. Whoa! Speaking of upcoming content, uh, before we wrap it up here, we want to let you know about some stuff that's on the horizon that we're doing. First of all, this Thursday, so two days from now on March 31st, we have a special video we did with the uh, creative team, team at Wizards of the Coast um, about Streets of New Capenna. Ah, nice. Yeah, Jimmy, you sat down with uh, Lauren Bonds. Jay and Ellie. And Jay and Ellie and talked all about the world building and, you know, how they kind of came up with New Capenna as, as a plane. Yeah, we're calling it Criminal History. We made this amazing graphic for it. And it's just, I did something very similarly for Neon Dynasty, where I talked to the designers and the builders of the world. And it's a great way to really get a deeper look into what I think is one of the most elegant processes in the world, which is making a whole story and a game that's functioning at the same time and how they complement each other. And as we've seen with like the Maestro Charm that just got released today, you can feel the flavor of the colors and the families, and it ties into a story really well, too. And that's really exciting. And you get a, a great sneak peek behind the scenes about how they made it happen. Yeah, there's a ton of concept art from the world of New Capenna. They talk about the families, really explain them yeah. a lot. Uh, one of the things I really liked about the conversation is they really relate how this, building the story in the world relates to gameplay and the decisions about mechanics and how the game actually works and yeah, how that yeah. conversation uh, happens and, and how they make decisions, which I, I, I thought was really cool. So if you're free on Thursday, well, it's going to be on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. So if you're but free on Friday check it or out. Saturday, yeah, <laughs> you can also watch it then. But if yeah. you have some time, please check it out. Um, we got a lot of great content coming up, though, not just that world building video, which is out again Thursday, March 31st. We also have the SNC launch video. So this is the one that Magic officially released. This one's with Becca Scott and Joe Johnson, I believe, going through the set. You got to visit the set. How that? How was it looking? Yeah, it was. It was really awesome. I visited when they were shooting. You know, they do the launch video for every yep. uh, set. Jimmy, set. you're almost always on them. <laughs> uh, I am sometimes. Uh, yeah, they they found like this this like old 1920s style gilded um, like building restaurant downstairs oh, or wow. downtown and Becca and Joe were all done up like you know Great ah, Gatsby nice. so it's really sweet to see it. yeah so on April 7th that'll be on the uh, official MTG channels it'll be on YouTube and stuff too I'm sure and we're gonna do another live episode just like this one covering a new topic and of course involving you the audience and community so check it out April 20th uh, and, of course, you'll find on Twitter and stuff how to register for that to get the link. Yeah, that is going to be right after the Streets of New Capenna Commander decks have been fully revealed. So I think they're revealed on, like, the 19th, and the 20th will be the first day we can really talk about them. Yeah, so yeah. for sure, Jimmy and I are going to be talking about the new Commander Precon decks from Streets of New Capenna on the next Command Zone Live episode. So make sure that you register and you're there on April 20th. And then, of course, we are going to be doing a Game Nights episode all themed around Streets of New Capenna. Woo, with we a already- really special guest, too. I can't wait. Yeah, we have a, uh, we have some sweet guests. We got all dressed up for that episode too. We look we look pretty sharp. I gotta say, the set we built is fantastic. I can't wait. Uh, we're really leveling up our content here, and it's because 
of you know everyone here in chat, people that are supporting us across all the different realms. You can find our socials there if you want to follow us. Uh, we have a brand new Patreon as well, tons of cool new tiers there, patreon.com slash command zone. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I really appreciate everybody that came out. It's been so awesome to watch chat scroll by here and everybody say nice things and ask us questions. There are going to be three more of these Command Zone Live episodes at least. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully you can attend all of them. And uh, we really appreciate everybody joining the conversation. Oh, what? maybe one more question. Adam Jan Kaleno asks, will you be playing the pre-con Commander decks or with your own on the new Capanna episode? Can we spoil that yet? Yeah, okay, uh, we can. Uh, On the new Capanna Game Nights episode, we built our own decks. It's not around the pre-con. And they're spicy. Yeah, we built some pretty cool decks, I got to say. Yeah, big thanks to everyone that helped out today here at the Command Zone Live. Lady Danger, Jake Boss, Jamie Block, Truck Tie, uh, Wizards of the Coast, and, of course, Hyper RPG for hosting us on this awesome screen back here. Yeah, and thanks to everybody out there. We really appreciate you. We will see you on the next one. All right. Peace out, everyone. Peace. Bye-bye. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> you can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.